everybody and welcome to another episode of Magic with Zuby. My name is Zuby and if you're brand new to this show, the show is all about a little well-known podcast called Magic the Gathering. So on today's episode, we brought on none other than senior magic designer Gavin Verhey to come on and discuss magic design and a lot of a lot of other stuff too as well. Um, talked about so much stuff there and it was great having him on, really enjoyed him and yeah, it was just a great episode all around. But before we get into it, uh, let's get a little bit of ads out of the way. Uh, Magic Zuby can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. If you want to help support the show, you can help support the show at Patreon at patreon.com slash magicwithzuby. And you can reach out to me on Twitter at magicwithzuby, on Instagram at magic underscore with underscore zuby. And you can email me with any questions you may have at mtgzuby at gmail.com. And we have two quick little ads, and then we will get right on to the interview with Gavin. Well, hey there, Zoe. Why the long face there, chum? I just want to order some magic cards, but the shipping was too expensive. Too expensive? Well, did you know if you go to LegitMTG.com, you can order any magic cards, and anything over $2 or more has free shipping. Wow, free shipping's at LegitMTG.com. That's amazing. You heard that right, Zoe. Free shipping at LegitMTG.com with any order over $2 or more. Be sure to visit today and get the best deal on Magic Singles and Magic Sealed product available. Wow, that's amazing! And that is how you beat the latest standard meta with Abzan. Ugh, it feels like there's no magic content out there for someone like me. Someone who doesn't want to be competitive. Someone who is... Who is... Anormie? Yeah, exactly! Anormie! Well, have I got the show for you, the all-new Magic for Normie show! Hi, I'm Pixie. And I'm Zuby. Together, we host the all-new Magic, Magic for, for Normies. Normies! It is the Magic the Gathering show for all your Normie needs. We don't care what deck got into the top eight or what deck is winning, we care about having fun playing magic. That's right, Pixie. You can watch us on Pixie's Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash pixiekittenplays and catch the VOD on our YouTube channel, Pixie Kitten Plays. If audio is your thing, you can find episodes on the Magic Wazubi RSS feed. Magic for normies. All right, so here we're live, Zuby here, and I've got none other than you may have heard of him, um, Gavin Verhey, a senior magic designer over at Wizards of the Coast. Uh, thanks for stopping by and you know being able to chat with me. How's it going, man? Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, I think it's going about as well as it can be, all things considered. All kinds of uh, fun magic to be played at home. So oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's all going all right. So you've been uh, working from home since this whole uh, lockdown started. Yeah, since um, since March now. So, but the good news is. Fortunately, we're also passionate and excited and dedicated. We've been able to do a lot of stuff behind the scenes um, and lots of at home to make it all happen. We've got some good playtesting solutions set up, um, as well as just all kinds of our normal meetings and things like that. So um, even though I'm sure it has impacted us to make us a little less productive than we would normally be just by virtue of, hey, we're yeah. on different places, we're still able to do a lot of stuff. And hey, card designs, I can still make at home just fine. So. No, that's awesome. So one question I had about the lockdown for you all is, um, I guess, more working from home. Were you all ever allowed to work from home before this? Yeah. So, I mean, there's always been you've always it's, you've always been allowed to be able to work from home. Um, 
provided that you're able to get your work done from home yeah. and not every day. Like it usually it would not be said that you could work from home all five days of the week or something like, like maybe that. Maybe once but, a week or something. Exactly. And there's a lot of people who like live in very rural areas or have kids or whatever and need to be able to work at home. And the good news is, you know, for many people at the company, our jobs facilitate that well. You know, the hardest points come in for people who are doing heavy play testing or for people who have to review in-person samples. For example, if your job is to proof paper magic samples as they come in the door, you're going to kind of be in. That said, I would say the majority of people at Wizards worked at the, at the office five days a week. And then a handful of people had other solutions. But, you know, as we've learned, and frankly, as many companies have learned during this time, there's still a lot of things we can get done from home. And in the future, I wouldn't be surprised if some more hybrid approach was uh, brought to the table, like many other companies would probably be adopting as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've been working from home for almost a year now um, since last summer, and it's been a huge change for me. So when the whole lockdown happened, nothing really changed for me, per se. So except because I also travel too for my job, um, have to travel across the U.S. So I've been kind of stuck at home. <laughs> not having to travel anywhere, but um, it's I, I I was just really curious about that because I guess in terms of designing magic has that hasn't really stopped that flow of designing magic sets or anything. No, thankfully not. We still got everything everything rolling just fine. And I know what you mean by the way about the traveling gig. I mean, in my personal life, I am a huge traveler. I am gone all the time. I think I went nearly six months um, until Mar- until March without being home for a single weekend. So oh, I'm just man. gone, gone, gone to magic events, yeah. to uh, personal events, all kinds of stuff. So it's been actually very strange for me to have been at home for this long. I don't think I've ever been at home this long, at least in the past 10 years of my life. Um, but it's also allowed me to get a bunch of things done at home and you know almost yeah. re-spark some of my original passions. I've been playing a lot more games and actually I hit Mythic on Arena because I had the time to do, dig into that. I started oh, making my yeah. own magic videos because I've had some time to work on those projects. So um, it's been fun to kind of just do some stuff around home. I feel like you know Rosewater always says this thing, restrictions breed creativity. Many of us have probably heard this quote before. And a big question for me was during this time, I'm really restricted. We're all really restricted. But what are things we can do that, that we couldn't normally do? And, you know, so for me, like I'm traveling so much and so busy with work um, and the office most of the time that I couldn't make these videos. But, hey, now I can finally do that. Uh, in, my, in my personal life, I've been able to do a lot of all kinds of online events with friends from around the world who would never be able to be in the same room together. But we're all at home. So, hey, let's have a group um, murder mystery or something. And so it's really fun to be able to find those activities and find things that you couldn't do before, at least. So finding that silver lining, at least, is nice. And hey, as a designer, I am always looking for new things to design. I know. That's really awesome. That's um, It's great to hear stuff like that. That um, The the other thing... Oh, sorry. Just lost my... Of course, someone had to show up at the door right as during this. Um, I sent them there for you, actually. You should go. <laughs> I have a little thing. You're going to be like, boop, and you're going to forget everything I told you. I am so sorry. I just need to put you on a quick hold, okay? No, I no right. problem at all. Okay, uh, recording again. Sorry about that. Um, just uh, had a neighbor at the door here, just, you know, right in the middle of doing this interview. Doesn't usually happen. I don't really get too many people coming to my door. but um, Especially now. <laughs> I know, right? It's the least likely time someone <laughs> would come to your door. I know, right? So uh, when you were talking about, uh, you know, restriction breeds creativity, I've noticed you've been doing TikTok videos and um, uh, you've been doing that Good Morning Magic show and all that. Uh, when has that been, not just TikToks, but the Good Morning Magic show, has that been something you've been wanting to do, 
for a while or just never had the time to do it? And yeah, absolutely. You know, I, you talk to some of my friends and they will tell you, I've talked about doing a YouTube show for like seven years. And you know, it's one of those things that you're always like, well, if I just had more time, I would do this. But I mean, not to sound like some kind of highfalutin person, but my life was super busy. I was just out all the time. I, there are many, 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 many weeks where if I was even in the, the same state, my time at home would basically be waking up and going to bed and I'd just be out the rest of the time. I, you know, I had a really busy social life, had a lot of stuff going on. Um, and then I had, had a lot of work obligations and travel and so on. And so it just didn't fit into my life very well. And as much as I wanted to do it, I couldn't make the time for it. So being at home, I was like, well, this is if I'm ever going to do it, this is the shot. And, you know, it's one of those things, too, where you kind of need to get the momentum rolling on it. And yeah. then once the momentum is carrying, maybe you can keep it going. So now, you know, once we're out of this whole um, situation, there's a chance I might continue it in, in some form afterwards. Might have to change forms a little bit. You know, maybe I, they can't be as often, but I'd love to keep it going. Um, but it's, you know, now's a great time for me to, for example, learn all this video editing software and know that I can do it and build an audience and all this stuff. Yeah. Because doing that mixed in with everything else I wouldn't have the time for. So it's a great time to try and learn how to do something new. And I encourage everyone out there to think about the things that you've always wanted to do and realize now is maybe the perfect time for it, right? Even if it's just sorting your magic collection. Now, if there's ever a time to be at oh, home yeah. sorting magic cards, now is probably that time. So go for it. All right, awesome. So speaking of doing that good morning magic, it's you were also once a part of the still going on Monday Night Magic podcast yeah. a long time ago and also part of the MTG Cast podcast that where they're both still going on and you used to write a lot of articles. Um I mean you were just basically everywhere before joining joining with Watsy. Do you miss those days at all? You know, I think everyone has those days you look back on from ten years ago, fifteen years ago in your life. And you're like, those were the days. You know, I was bright-eyed, I was bushy-tailed, it was all new and exciting. <laughs> and I, I mean, I feel like it's it's not better or worse, it's just different. Back then, you know, when I started on MTG Cast, so the story for everyone listening out there is I was 14 years old, and I was running one of the biggest magic websites on the internet, helping run one of the biggest magic websites on the internet. And podcasts were brand new. Like, mm-hmm. now everyone knows what podcasts is, but at the time, it was like this brand new thing. You know, you've gone through iTunes or whatever. And I heard this podcast called MTG Cast, which I would call probably the second magic po- magic uh, podcast. I think the first is probably going to be Top 8 Magic with um, Mike Flores, Brian David Marshall. But I heard the second ever uh, podcast. And um, MTG Cast is run by this guy named Dom, uh, Dom Hodgson. He was just in his house recording. And his first episode was, and you'll never believe I remember this, but it was about the Ascension card, Gob Hobbler Rats. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Ascension. And I listened to the, the first few episodes, and I started getting in touch with him. And I joined, I don't know, maybe episode 15, something like that. I have to go back and check check my notes. But I was just like a 14 or 15-year-old kid. And I just messaged him being like, hey, I help run this site. I love magic. Can I be on your show? And he was like, sure. Well, why not? That, you know, I, I joined the show along with uh, Tom Gustafson, who's a wonderful person as well. And you know, then we ran for uh, my my ran was for hundreds of episodes, and that became my thing. And I was writing articles at the time. I got picked up for MG, uh, for um, Star City Games. I was writing things for MTG Salvation, yeah. and I was um, I, you know, I started going pro at Magic and all these things. And I feel like my path here. There's this line in a, a Hemingway book about how did it happen? All right, and I get asked mm-hmm. this question a lot. How did you get to where you are today? And um, 
the response in the book is gradually then suddenly. And that's exactly how I feel, right? Where it's like, I was just all these tiny little things I was doing and none of them really seemed to move the needle at all until one day it just, it all came together and it really made a big difference. Um, and so I encourage everyone out there to take whatever avenues you can depending that lead to the path you want, whether it's a magic or something else, because it's going to be the culmination of all those things together that make it seem like it happens. To many people, if you are successful, it will seem like an overnight success because one day to you, you, like, you just see this person online doing stuff. And you're like, wow, how'd they show up suddenly? But to the world, that was years and years of you working. You know, I mean, Taylor Swift is one of the biggest names in music today. Yeah. But she, but, and a lot of people are like, oh, she was just discovered overnight. Well, sort of. But she spent years and years practicing to get to the point where, where she was before she was a, a household name. You know, I saw her open a show for Rascal Flatts at one point. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> yeah, she was just like this, this kid who was just opening this country show. And it was at such a different time. So, um, Everybody, everybody kind of uh, evolves in a, in a different way, and every little thing you do can go a really long way. And I, I could tell stories about those days for ages about um, all the things that I did. But it, in summary, everything led me to where I am now. And when I was 11 years old, I wanted to be able to design magic cards. So to finally That's be doing awesome. it is a total dream. So what was your first magic set at 11 back then? Uh, yeah, so when I... So the story as it goes, and I've told this a number of times elsewhere, but I will tell it again here because I really do love it so much. When I was 10 years old, I started playing magic. And when I was 11, I decided I wanted to be a magic designer. And so I grew up um, in Seattle, which is very fortunate for this because we had the big pre-releases and all the Wizards employees would come around to our Mm pre-releases. So I went to the Odyssey pre-release and Randy Bueller was there. And Randy was the VP of um, R&D at the time. And so I went up to him and I was 11 years old. (laughs) <laughs> and I said, Randy, I'm ready to come work for you. I want to come work in, in Wizards Designing Cards. Let's do this thing. And he looked at me really seriously and he said, all right, kid, you're going to need two things. The first thing you're going to need is a college degree. And my heart just sunk, right? Because I'm 11 years old. It's going to take forever. <laughs> uh, but the second thing he told me is that I should become a really good magic player because the like, hire people who know the game really, really, really well or are well-known. You know, Often you're reached out to for this position. And I thought, I don't know about the whole college degree thing, but pro magic player, that's got to be easy, right? So oh, yeah, no I, problem. At, at that moment forward, I kind of dedicated myself to pro magic. And so um, I went, I qualified for my first pro tour when I was 16. I started college when I was 15. I graduated college before I was 20. And oh, I, played, I was, you know, played pro. And so I basically went on the exact path that Randy taught me. In the meantime, when I was a kid, when I was 11, I actually designed my own magic sets. That became what I would do, right? I would design stuff. I ran uh, mini card creation forums online. Uh, when my friends would come over for like a sleepover, we would just make our own magic set and then draft it, right? So oh, that was wow, totally that's awesome. And actually, I still have it. One of my, I, it's a really fun story is when I was a kid, I would make all these magic sets, right? And and uh, play with my friends or whatever. But at some point, I went pro, like 15 or 16, you know, I started playing a lot of pro magic. And I set all that stuff behind me, left it all home. Well, I got hired at Wizards when I was 21. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's nine years ago now. Wow. And when I um, when I came back for the Thanksgiving holiday, I came back home to my parents. My mom handed me this box. And inside this box were all the cards I made when I was a kid, 11, 12, 13 years oh, old. Oh, wow. Had. She kept it. <laughs> and yeah, it was amazing. And my mom, she's been great at keeping memories. And hats off to her. You know, our life is is uh, well, uh, well categorized and full of great memories. But... Um, I looked at this box and the cards are just ridiculous, right? Like imagine what an 11 or 12 year old would design. All this nonsense. 
things like you know lands that have tap draw two cards or add two mana there was literally a card they that sound cost a, zero. sounds amazing <laughs> yeah it was strong there's a card called that costs zero mana that just said you win the game on it that was the card right it, we called it really broken card there's just stuff <laughs> um but uh i was flip, 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 flipping through and i was working on gatecrash at the time that was my first mm-hmm. set on the team for and i found this card and i thought wait a second, this could actually work. So I came back to the office after the break and I pitched it to Dave Humphreys, uh, who's the lead designer of Gatecrash. And it was actually a really good fit for the set. Um, and he put it on in. So it's Serene Remembrance. It's this card that costs a single green mana and it shuffles itself and three other cards from your graveyard into your library. And it's a completely unnoteworthy card. Like it was basically, well, you could sideboard this in if you were getting milled or something like that, yeah. you know? Um, but it was a really important card to me because it was a card I made when I was like 11 years old. It got printed in a magic set. And to me, that, that is awesome. Just, yeah. So that, that's a fun story. That's totally awesome. The The one thing that really um has drawn me to you that really wanted me to interview you was I read an article that you made. I want to say you made it 2017 talking about product design, uh, being yeah. part of the product architecture team or and um, the, the, some of the beginning opening paragraphs is talking about your dad and how your dad was an architect and how, you know, he seemed so passionate about, you know, looking over blueprints and all this stuff. And it, it, it really sort of made me realize, you know, y- you yourself seem very happy at what you're doing. And I think for anyone having any kind of career, not just in magic, but anything, it's just really important to love what you do. And you really come across that way. You know that you really enjoy what you enjoy making magic i mean it's uh, to me it seems like this is probably like your lifelong you know job for the rest of your life as long as wizards is still here i like. would like for it to be and i love what i do and it's i'm so happy and fortunate i get to work with really talented people who also love what they do and i'm not going to say that every day is all sunshines and roses right I mean, oh yeah that's every job, job. Yeah. There's there's hard work, but the fact that most of my day is spent talking about magic cards is pretty sweet. And you know that I am someone who has in the really fortunate position of getting to be a kind of face for the game and get to talk with so many players. It's it's really awesome. Um I'll say that for me I talked about, you know, in that article I talked about my dad being an architect mm-hmm. and um you know, he's a very passionate designer, much like how I'm a very passionate designer. And something that I've learned is design, good design principles extend beyond just magic. And when I talk to my friends who are architects or fashion designers or Mm -hmm. game designers or any kind of different designer, design is kind of what makes things run. Uh, Everything is designed to some degree, if you think about it, right? Um, Or at least most most things are. And uh, good design principles are good design principles. So it's really interesting to be able to talk with a lot of my friends from extremely different professions and still be able to have conversations about why you would do these things based on design, because ultimately what you're designing for most of the time are humans <laughs> and humans tend to have certain ways about thinking and doing things. And um, it's so fascinating to be able to talk about, OK, here's why this fashion design cycle works the way it does. And be like, oh, yeah, I totally get why you would have to predict now what's going to be popular in nine months. And it's not actually that different. Right. You think about magic sets. We're designing sets that we have to figure out. We have to figure out a year from now what players are going to want five years now what players are going to want well hey in fashion design they're trying to predict what the fashion line is going to be for winter or for next spring or something right i mean it's, it's not yeah. that different in all ways and just the principles what make you decide certain things continue to evolve so um I, I find it all very fascinating 
No, it's also, it's very similar to what my uh, day job is. I'm a network architect for my day job, so I have to design networks for hospitals and outpatient clinics around the country. So very similar. I have to make sure things are running. I got to keep up to date with the latest technologies, make sure, you know, very similar to what you're talking about. I mean, not exactly the same, but similar. But, well, from one architect to another. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. So I one of the first questions I want to ask about just magic design, and this has been one of the things that just really boggles my mind with magic designers like yourself, Mark Rosewater, all of them. How have you guys not run out of ideas after 25 plus years of magic? <laughs> it's like, so it, it, before you answer that, it's, you know, I've been playing this game since Urza Saga. I've seen, you know, and I played on and off, on and off and all that. And it's just, and I haven't stopped playing since M13 came out and it's just been one long strange journey through magic since then and it's just like I it, talk, Ikoria for instance right the mutate mechanic I love it the companion mechanic it's really really cool on paper the um oh, what's the other one from there was three different mechanics right from Ikoria why am I forgetting um Mutate companion cycling. Cy er, cycling. I thought, no, was it mutate and... Uh, the keyword counters? Oh, yeah, the, the counters, yeah. All, all the different counters. It's How have you guys not run out of ideas yet? It's Yeah, you know, it, it's so <laughs> interesting. So before I came to Wizards, I asked myself the same question. Like, how much design space is there really left with Magic? How much is there to do? Haven't we done it all? Like, when you think about a Magic card, there are only so many game terms and so many ways to combine them. And... A big barrier is your text box is actually not that big, right? You only get this much text to work with, so you are kind of limited in what you get to do and say. And so before I came to Wizards, I was I was had some similar concerns. One week into Wizards, all my concerns evaporated. There are ideas I have heard in my first week of working at Wizards that we still have not done that will be gangbusters ideas when we do them. Because so we haven't had so enough time to do it yet, or just we, the set hasn't approached the right opportunity. You know, a, a really okay. interesting thing I think, and this is um something that took me a long time to learn um, and was one of the things that I had to, to um, really embody eventually at Wizards is that you're really tempted to do everything as soon as you have the idea, right? That, that's mm -hmm. just the human temptation. It's, I've got this idea. It's awesome. Let's do it. And if everyone agrees it's awesome and let's do it, well, you'd think, well, of course I'm going to do this, right? If you're like, hey, honey, I'm going to build a cabinet in the kitchen because that's going to be awesome for us. Of course, it's going to be like, well, yeah, go build the cabinet. Duh. But magic works on like a very different time frame. And a big thing for us is not about just doing something because it's cool, but doing it because it's both cool and it's right to do. And for us to use a mechanic or to use an idea, it should be the right time for it in addition to being a good mechanic. So there's a lot of things we've held onto in our back pocket for years until, hey, this is finally the right time to do it. I'll give you a great example, and that's Aquaria. You know, the idea of layering cards on top of each other, that's been happening in games for Aeons. Like other games have done it, I mean, even like Duel Masters, another game we produce has done this kind of evolution yeah. where you do this. It's not um, a mystery that, to me that someday Magic would do that. But we could have done it in any number of sets. We waited until this one. Why Aquaria? Well, because it's finally set where you want to mutate and grow and evolve your creatures, and it was the perfect fit for that. So we put it here. And there's a ton of other ideas we have that will be things that an entire set can rest upon. We, we just have to go to the right setting for. So as we continue to do more settings, you'll see those happen. Um, and... Um, there's so much cool stuff out there that we have not even touched yet that would blow your mind. Um, and wow, I th there's like entire categories of designs that when you do the first one, it'll unlock whole new ways to think about how magic can be can be played. 
Um, and sometimes we're going to take risks, right? Like we, we have taken some big risks too. Um, you know, I, I don't need to say much more than the word companion just to elicit all the <laughs> thoughts and discussions that have come around that. But I think it's really important that we do try some of these things out. And look, they're not always going to be right. They're not always going to hit appropriately. Um, but it's important that we try things out so we can learn about them because sometimes yeah. they're going to be hits. I think back to Innistrad. And we did this double-faced card mechanic, right? Mm-hmm. And if you were playing then, if anyone out there was playing then, nowadays you're like, oh, yeah, double-faced cards. Cool, sweet. That was that was huge. I mean, people were decrying that as the death of magic and as things would never be the same and this mechanic does, doesn't work and so on. And they started playing with it and it was amazing. Now we use double-faced cards pretty regularly and it's it's a huge hit. There are other things we've tried out that have not been as successful and we've had to kind of kick them to the curb. I think it's so important that we keep trying these innovations to find the ones that work and that's just the nature of being a designer. Not everything's going to be a hit. You know, you're going to end up with um, some stuff that's not successful, but you got to find the stuff that is so you can keep uh, keep using it. No, I like that. I like that you, you bring up a good point that, say, for something like Mutate, right? You you said when you try these designs, it just sort of unlocks other designs and all that. Do you, And I'm sure you all have, you know, all these potential designs you want to do like in a vault right where you are like hey we'll save it for you know the the return to kaladesh set or the return to innistrad set stuff like that and do you all regularly also talk about just brainstorm sessions for just mechanics that you want to try like hey hey let's all come to the table and think of one new mechanic we can try to do well, it's actually, man, you're, you're setting this up so perfectly, you don't even know. Um, <laughs> that's actually where ability counters came from. So once a year um, in game design, we have this thing called a hackathon. Um, it's modeled after what a lot of digital teams do. It's just like a, a week-long, set aside all your other work, and you're, for this week, you are just going to work on some entirely different project. And we started running these for all kinds of things, both for product design. That's where sets like Commander Legends and Modern Horizons came from, um, mm-hmm. and which and Jumpstart too, which is all really cool. But we also started doing it for mechanics. And so we would break off into little teams and explore entirely different ranges of mechanics. And um, after we did the punch-out tokens in Amonkhet for like brick counters and stuff like that, exert counters, we, we realized, wow, maybe we could do a lot more with this. And so me and Mark Rosewater and a couple others uh, during the, our hackathon set up a little counters mini team of what can we do with punch out counters. And we came up with the idea of ability counters and it just hit us like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Um, and that's where it all came from. So you're absolutely right. We do have meetings like this. We do have about one time a year, one week a year where everyone is dedicated to let's come up with cool mechanics. And then we sort of put them in the vault for the right occasion. And then we do a big presentation to the whole design group. And then we put them in the vault for um, use down the road at some point. That's awesome. That's awesome. There was one ability counter missing, though, Gavin. And it's and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. It's banding. When- oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, exclusion of haste, whatever. Banding? Come on, man. Uh, look, hey, you gotta, I, I got a banding card in the mystery booster. So I am. Oh, I'm, that's right. I'm, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually multiple banding cards in Mr. Booster. I can't believe it. So. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> you know, what are, um, I mean, I know I had a question here about power creep and all that, and I feel like that's a hot topic right now, especially with standard. Um, but I, I guess, you know, designing cards, you have to, I, what's a good way to word it? Because it's, 
I, I know there's got to be a fine balance when you're having to design cards where you want to make them super strong and splashy and fun while also not trying to skew the power for sets like stand or for formats like standard or modern or, or whatever formats out there um how hard is that for especially say a new newer designer that comes in and you know has all these awesome ideas they want to do it's hard <laughs> you know i i think first to, to kind of set up the stage there's kind of three main processes of design there's and there's more than this but i'll just boil it down to three there's vision design where like the initial ideas for the set come up and this is where we're trying out mechanics and it's very much like throw spaghetti at the wall see what sticks yeah um, that's like a super early process. Then there's set design, in which the set gets a lot more tuned and refined, and we call the mechanics down, and the cards start to get more final. But during the tail end of set design, we kick off play design. And play design is where like the really strong, balance-focused players, like people, many of those who come off of the competitive circuit, are testing these decks. And frankly, that's where a lot of the balance stuff happens. Um, and they're the ones tuning tuning a lot of it. So when you're designing a set, you need to heed what play design says. Their advice and feedback is really, really important. But when it comes to power level stuff, um, that's mostly what, what play design is focused on. Okay. Limited is its own bag, right? We, the set design lead will make sure that limited is balanced in and of itself. But when it comes to format balance, that's more of what set design is focused on. And even they do some limited play testing um, also. That oh, that's said, you want to make sure... Yeah, that said, you want to make sure that there are that your mechanics are going to be things that can be fun for constructed purposes mm-hmm. and uh, and for balance purposes and can work. You know, if I this is a dumb example, but if I submit submit a mechanic that's mana cost, you win the game. I'll call it winify. We're not going to make this mechanic. <laughs> Let's just say that we called winify and it was a keyworded mana cost you win the game. Well, that mechanic is clearly not really going to work out because either it's going to be priced so low. They're just going to end up with people winning the game all the time. Or play design most likely is going to have to price all of the mechanics so highly that no one ever activates it, which is just a total loss. Yeah. The other thing, too, um, that is really tricky about balancing our game, and it's something that I had to learn really early on, I was taught this very early, is we have to assume that we're always going to be wrong. What? I know. What do you mean you're always going to be wrong? Like, Aren't you trying to work really hard at this? Like, What's the deal there? And Eric Lauerkamp taught me this principle. He's an absolute genius. And just assume, look, at the end of the day, you're 20, 30 people playtesting this set, and there's, you know, whatever, 20 million Magic players, let's say. Mm-hmm. You are, this group of people is not going to crack what 20 million Magic players are going to crack. So yeah. assume that you're always going to be wrong in some capacity, but make sure that if you miss, you have error bars, right? So, and make sure that there are checks and balances in place. For example, you know, for a long time, we would just put hate cards, mini sets after or we would put hate cards like after we'd seen something erupt in standard. But our timelines are such that for us to put a hate card in a set to fight off a problem, well, that's maybe a year after the set's been released. You look at, say, Kotaki's War's Wage, which is, which is an answer to Affinity that shows up in Saviors of Kamigawa a year and a half <laughs> yeah. after It's not really useful. So now we do a lot more putting answers in that set or in the set immediately afterward to help make sure that there's um, a solution. You know, it, like... Creeping Corrosion, a card that destroys all artifacts, showed up in the Mirrodin block, you know, so uh, Scar the Mirrodin block. So there's a a lot of times we're building answers in sets to create safety valves. It also helps out with the metagame, because if one deck becomes too popular, you start playing an answer to fight off that deck, and you start fighting off the new deck, and you kind of create this churning of the metagame, because what you never want is for one deck to be dominant for too long. Another big trick that we do um, that most people wouldn't think about is we make, if we think that archetype's going to be really popular, 
we make strong sideboard cards that make that that you would sideboard to have that archetype be good against itself. Um, for example, if you have a monocolor hate card, like counter target blue spell, mystical dispute is a good example of this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a card that you would sideboard against very similar decks. And by doing that, you take up four of that deck sideboard slots, which then means that other decks are perhaps poised to come up and beat you down. So there's a lot of small little things we can do there to help make sure that the format is always evolving. Cause you want to make sure that, that standard format is changing out because otherwise, you know, you don't, the same deck is dominant for three months. And that's when you start ending up with, with trouble. Um, and we try really hard to try and avoid that. And we are not always successful, but, you know, we try our best. Do you find it easier to make those hate cards now, now that each set is contained in its own expansion? Like, we no longer have three blocks of Theros and three blocks of Cons or anything like that. It's now just one set of Throne of Eldraine, one set of Theros Beyond Death. Do you find that easier now to do? I think maybe slightly so. Yeah, I mean, it definitely helps out with limited, too, because if you want to put your hate card for a set steam at uncommon, well, that's going to be a big problem when you're drafting that card with that set, right? Imagine if Creeping Corrosion that destroyed all artifacts in Mirrored and Besieged was an uncommon in that block. It would have caused a lot of trouble, where yeah. if you have the Destroy All Enchantments card in the set after Theros now, it's not a big deal, like Barrier Break, um, the, that card from um, Coria five mm-hmm. mana exile three enchantments that could have been a really big issue in theros block it might have been absolutely backbreaking but here it's like well it's a great safety valve if you need it not really a problem inside of uh inside of standard environment um okay. so so yeah i think it's a little bit easier although ultimately you would still just make the card if you needed to make the card you know hate cards are notoriously not on theme for the set because they're hating on other stuff and uh, that's just the nature of the beast Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, One of the questions I actually had, just speaking of set design, as I've begun doing um, set reviews for standard sets on my podcast, um, I notice a lot of the same types of cards for each color of the color pie. Like, white gets a lot of pump and exile effects. Blue gets, you know, counterspell, tap, or bounce effects, etc. How necessary is it to stay within the confines of the color pie when you're designing sets like that? Extremely. I mean, the color pie is really part of what makes magic work, and we have to be very careful not to mess with it. Now, I think there's an important caveat there. We're, the color pie is also always evolving. You know, we're looking at new things to give it. The big discussion right now is white. I'm sure you've seen many of these discussions running mm-hmm. around. It's super weak in Commander and, and Standard and, and all kinds of other formats. It clearly doesn't have enough tools, doesn't have any mana ramp, doesn't have any card draw. Where can white be? You know, at, at one point, believe it or not, although many will, will not remember this time, green was accepted as the worst color in magic if you played green you were a joke why would you ever play green yeah. and so the, the color pie is always evolving and we're always looking at new things to give give the color pie that said the structure and framework of the color pie is what makes magic work if every color can do everything then there's no reason to play certain colors so let's play all the best cards and um historically although they're fun if they show up every now and then when really strong five color decks emerge it becomes this like gross mishmash of just every card is being played you know i think back to the Vivid Lands in Lorwyn block. And it led mm-hmm. to the all high-color decks that just played all the best cards. And those are kind of fun for a little while, but quickly it makes Magic lose its novelty. So that color pie is super crucial, and we have to be very careful that we um, don't break it. Now, we do bend it for set themes on occasion, and that's, I think, where you see some of these interesting bends come, right? Like, oh, hey, it's Theros. Black is going to need answers to enchantments. Can we find a way to do that? And so we started having Black sacrifice some enchantments, for example. And yeah, that worked out totally fine. 
Um, so there's, you'll see us bend things, but breaking the color pie is something we really are careful to not do. We have a whole team set up to look at that. So does that team also help when um, you they find yourself, like you as a designer, if you're finding yourself, maybe you make a, a black card, right? And it sort of bends that color pie a little bit. Will be Will they QA that and be like, nope, we can't do this because black does X, Y, Z? Yeah, so we have this group set up called the Council of Colors. There's mm-hmm. one person for every color, and their job, is, in addition to all their other design duties, is to review all the new cards of that color that are coming out with each set and make sure that they fit into their color pie. And then after they do a review, which they do twice per set, um, one kind of in the middle and one at the end, then there's a meeting between them and the set lead for that set to be like, hey, look, here's the issues we found, here's what we think needs to change, and here's why. And either the set lead states this case for like, oh, hey, here's why it's this way. Can we stay this way? Or more often, they're like, oh, wow, that's a great point. We'll modify the card accordingly. Okay. No, that's that pretty much answers my question on that. That's interesting. That um, So a lot of it, it seems like a lot of it has to deal with if the set can support the bending of the color, they'll allow it, it sounds like. Um, if it can support it. Um, like or without going you know, too far, maybe, or... You know, a lot of the times what happens is they get in the meeting room and then we ask the set lead what their goal for the card is. And there's just another way to accomplish their goal with just some different words. You know, uh, many times, I mean, the players notice color pie breaks on mm-hmm. cards that really, really break the pie. But a lot of the time, it's just how it's worded. You know, uh, to, to give a great example, um, a a black card would more likely give something minus X minus X than dealing damage. Mm-hmm. It can deal damage, but it's more likely to give minus X minus X. So you, you, you make a card that's single black mana, deal three damage to a creature, oh, that's not black. But a single black mana to give something minus three minus three, well, suddenly that's black, right? So there's a lot mm-hmm. of just very tiny tweaks like that you can make, which don't change much of the functionality. It changes it some, certainly. Yeah. They don't change the functionality greatly, but give you the same effect. It's not always the case. Um, you know, a, a, a classic joke is, with black, you just have to add lose one life onto it. So there's a lot of effects. <laughs> Let's make sure there's some life loss in here to make it feel more black, as, as one example. Oh, that's so. interesting. I like that. Um, <laughs> so one of the questions I also wanted to ask, um, you know, you guys probably get tons and tons of player feedback, you know, not just from Twitter, on Reddit, on emails, you know, whatever, whatever's out there. Um, how often do you all read that feedback? Uh, all the time, every day, forever. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, everyone is different in this regard. I think different people want to have different levels of connection with the magic community. I can't speak for everyone in the department. I'll say for me and, and Rosewater too, the community to me is the heart and soul of magic. I mean, magic would be nothing without the gathering. It's mm-hmm. the people of this game are so important. I made lifelong friends. We tell stories. I love playing magic with friends. It is, it is so crucial to me. And so reading all that feedback is great. And I spend a lot of time on Twitter and Reddit and YouTube now and everywhere reading comments. And magic players have a lot to say. And a thing that I get asked a lot, a pretty popular question is, how do you deal with it all? Because a lot of the time, I mean, a lot of this feedback, people just naturally are a lot more inclined to give negative feedback than positive feedback, right? If everything's going yeah. great, People you don't get told great. If something's wrong, they will tell you why. And as a result, a lot of my job is you know getting beat up on by people sometimes. Um, and people ask how I deal with that. And to me, 
is really important. Um, and I actually love reading all the stuff, even the stuff that's, that can seem a little hateful sometimes. And here's the reason why. All feedback, when people are giving you feedback, what they're really saying is not, I'm, I you know, hate you. What they're saying is, I really care about this thing. I care about it so much that this thing bothers me about it. Please fix it. And to me, that shows, hey, I love this game, not I, I hate you for what you're doing. And almost all feedback, even when it's really, really strong, comes from a position of, I love this thing. And so mm-hmm. when people online are complaining to me about certain aspects of magic, I'm kind of grateful to some degree because you look at most games in the world, they have a problem. They just don't get feedback. If you look at board game designers, you talk to most board game designers, there aren't Reddits full of people talking about their games. Did they have a success? Did they have a failure? Did all their mechanics work out? No one knows. And they go to make another board game. They don't know if it was a success or not. And that's true of many indie games. It's true of all kinds of things. We are so fortunate to have this feedback loop with players where I can post a new card on Twitter and literally in less than a minute, I can have people telling me all the things that they love and dislike about it. Um, that's amazing. And so unless someone's feedback is literally just completely, you, you know, um, hateful, like if someone tweets at me, go jump off a bridge with no context whatsoever, yeah. then yeah, it's not very useful. But if someone's like, hey, I really don't like Theros because I blah, 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 then that tells me, hey, there's a thing they don't like. Maybe we can try and fix this next time we go to Theros. Um, so I take all that feedback as really useful. Of course, if you're tweeting at me or writing posts online or whatever, I always encourage you to be as respectful as possible. You know, yeah. think about what you're saying before you send it. Consider it from all angles. I think a lot of people's criticisms would be, in, in some cases, could be fixed by thinking about something for a minute, you know? Think before um, you act. <laughs> but I, I always love seeing feedback because it is crucial to magic and yeah. it helps make us make a better The number of times someone has tweeted me something and I've then turned around and helped fix it in an upcoming product is tremendous. So thank you all for all your thoughts and feedback and criticism and whether positive or negative, it, it helps out a lot. I will say though, conversely, I know I built up really thick skin to this stuff. It doesn't bother me as much anymore. A lot of other people um, are not as thick skinned. So also when you love something, don't be afraid to, to tell people that too. Um, when you work really hard on a project, being given love for it is also really important. And I know for me, when I've had projects that are really, really successful, it means the world, like when everyone's like, Mr. Booster is amazing or, or whatever the case might be. So don't be afraid to tell your content creators that you love what they do too. It makes a big difference. <laughs> no, no, that's very true. It's, um, no, it's, I, it's good to hear that you have thick skin, but uh, man, I don't know. I, you know, I, I try to stay away from all the, the negativity a lot of the negative feedback you know i'll read it here and there and but it's i don't know how you deal with it though i'd just be like i'd be looking at twitter be like delete get away i'm done just <laughs> let me go do my job it, but it's you're it, it is important to keep in touch with the community though and and that's i know exactly what you mean it's that's what keeps you going with it you know wanting to chat with those people and under try to understand where they're coming from well, and ultimately, you know, we don't just make magic cards to exist in some ethereal nebula. We make yeah. magic cards for players. And if for, for whatever reason we believe that players want something, then we should we should act on that. Um, that's and that's really important, or at least take it into consideration. You know, I can't. We're not always going to give everybody what they want because, first of all, that's impossible. There's just contradictions. I have many fun screenshots on my computer of literally back-to-back tweets that have completely opposite viewpoints. Um, but <laughs> 
and there, you know, we are ultimately a business. There's going to be some things we're going to have to do that are just like, look, you know, we can't just give everyone free magic cards forever because we're yeah. a business. But there are a lot of pieces piece of feedback about things we can do, um, especially that have come up recently that I think will really inform our future design decisions. So thanks for all your feedback, everyone out there. I appreciate it. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So speaking of some feedback here, um, I don't even think it's really feedback, more influence. Um, with Commander being more popular than ever, it blows my mind how crazy popular Commander has become just within the past couple years. How Has that influenced any kind of design decisions for standard sets lately? So much. Yeah, so much. I mean, we, you know, we released, released our first Commander product in 2011. And in nine years, it's gone from being this niche product that we made to being arguably the biggest format in all of Magic, period. Um, wow. And so, of course, that's going to, and it, you know, it depends on what data you look at, but I, I think yeah. most of your data will say it is the biggest format in Magic. Even bigger than standard now? But, yes. I mean, it, to me, it's become the de facto casual. For a long time, if I could hang out with my friends and I was like, let's play Magic, we'd all have very different ideas of what that meant, you know? And even yeah. if it was just casual kitchen table magic, we'd all have very different ideas. Commander has become the codified way to talk about casual magic, right? And if you're asking, yeah. hey, do you want to play magic? It's usually, it's not, hey, I've got a modern deck, you've got a standard deck, she's got a, a, a pioneer deck. It's, oh, hey, we all have a commander deck. We can speak this unified language. And that really, really helps a lot. So it's become huge. And, you know, it, the, our data can't always hit every player in the world. We don't know how many people are just out there playing kitchen table casual or standard at home or whatever, but we think Commander is probably the biggest format. In that. Um, so because of that, we want to make sure to make things for that player. And you're, we're, you're seeing a lot more products come out for it. For example, we just released five Accordia Commander decks. Yes. Um, we're rising. We're releasing two more Commander decks. We've got Commander oh Legends my, later this year. Holy crap. I forgot um, all about that. The two more Commander decks. That's... I gotta say, even the five that you guys just released, just out of the box, they have been probably some of the most fun commander decks just out of the box in the past couple of years. Well, thank you. I'm really glad to hear that. And yeah, we've got two more decks with Zendikar Rising, two more decks with Commander Legends, the whole set. So we're doing a lot of stuff there. But additionally, it's also made us think about Commander when we're making our main sets. And you know, for a long time, if a, if a card wasn't for Standard or Modern or Legacy or Limited, it was just nebulously for kitchen table casual players. Yeah. Now there's a face to that, and that face is Commander. And so if we're making a card that doesn't really intend to hit in any format, we're making some goofy rare, well, we try and think about, for the most part, hey, what format would this be played in? And the answer is normally Commander, you know, a great social format. Um, not every single time. We're still going to make some cards that are just like, wow, this is fun to read, but you're not really going to play it anywhere. But in general, we want to give things a home. And um, Commander is kind of at home for many of these cards. So you'll still see plenty of wacky rares you can only really play on weird standard decks. But a lot of the time, you will see us put some some cards in um, in sets, in mainline standard sets for Commander. Is that another reason why we're seeing a lot more cards that say each opponent now? Uh, there's a few reasons. Um, the, uh, that is one reason. Um, but another one is also digital. You know, each opponent rather than target opponent just saves you a click. Instead of having to say target opponent, oh, you can just say okay. and it saves you having to do that. Um, or instead of target player, on a uh, target opponent at least, we'll save you that click as well. You know, another big uprising of Commander that we first saw with Dominaria was more Legends in sets. And you've seen that kind of uptick since Dominaria mm -hmm. because, first of all, we learned is it's just sweet to be playing Magic and have Legends running around. It makes you feel so much more invested 
like when you're legendary creature, when, when um, you know, Sir Gwyn dies, you're like, oh my gosh, this person died, as opposed to just like, oh, another goblin, whatever. I, I don't yeah. think it makes the game feel a little more epic. But also for Commander, it just gives you more options to build around. And the heart and soul of that format in many ways is the Commander you get to build with. And let's give you some more sweet options. No, that's that's awesome to know. Um, So with 2020 being the year of Commander, um, since I was announced, I think, late last year, is that going to set a precedence now going forward? Like, will 2021 be the year of XYZ and 2022 and so on and so forth? I personally like to think that 2020 is... So when I say the year of Commander, I personally like to think that 2020 is the year of Commander but it's the year that Commander really begins. The support really begins, right? I, I, I expect there'll still be a lot of support in the future, a lot, of, oh, yeah. lot more than we were doing, uh, or a lot more than we were doing in past years anyway. Um, so it's kind of the kickstart of the whole thing. Now, But so I think for many people, they'll remember this as the year of Commander, but in, in history, you look back five years from now, it'll be remembered as the year that all this Commander stuff really started taking off and you started seeing more of it. Um, and yeah, that's all I'll say about that. But I'm really stoked for Commander's future. <laughs> and yeah, I think, you know, as we continue to try out different formats and, um, you know, grow magic in different ways, you'll see different years focus on different things. But Commander is here to stay. And oh, we yeah, want to keep yeah. doing stuff to support it. And it's clear that our products were mismatching the audience's need, right? If you think about those nine years since 2011 to 2020, well, until this year, we've only done one Commander release a year. And the format's gone from being something small to maybe our largest format. So clearly we should be doing more and calibrating exactly what that right level is. is going to take some time, but you know, this year we've got a full booster set and a bunch of decks for it. So I keep forgetting about that booster set. Oh my gosh. That's going to be commander legends. Commander legends is my baby. Um, that, that one you know, I'm excited I, about by the time commander legends releases late this year, it will have been almost six years. since oh. I started working on commander wow. legends. Think about that. Six years ago. What were you doing six years ago? I was coming up with Commander Legends, right? So that is, <laughs> it has been a long time coming on this set. I'm so excited about it. And it is, this, this, the set I am this year, single most excited to tell you more about. Um, and I wish I could say more, but you're just going to have to be patient. So have you ever, um, speaking real quick of just a Commander Booster or anything, um, speaking of Mystery Boosters, um, I recently was challenged to build a Commander deck out of a, booster box of mystery boosters and that was probably some of the most fun i've ever had is that going to be something we're going to be able to do with commander legends just we open up a whole booster box of commander legends or is that going to be sort of supported with just doing sealed commander or draft commander anything like that or you can't talk about that yet (laughs) no commander legends i mean my pitch was commander meets draft okay so it is first set you will be able to draft commander i can't get into exactly how it works It'll okay. be a draft commander set, which is amazing. And of course, you can also play sealed commander. You can crack open some packs or a whole box and build commander. Oh. I mean, you crack open a box, you'll be able to build mini, mini, mini commander decks. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you can crack open a um, handful of packs and build a commander deck for sure. And it's pretty fun, you know, to be able to imagine you can sit down and draft it. Or if you want, like you and a few buddies can just crack open a sealed deck and build a commander deck out of that. And um, then you can play a nice four-player sealed deck. For example, if, even if um, you're not in the same place, you can do that over webcam. You know, drafting is hard to do over webcams for obvious yeah. reasons. But if you all got a bunch of Commander Legends packs and cracked those open and then built Commander decks, you can play online against each other, which is really cool. Oh, yeah. My stream community just did a sealed, like, since we don't have Icoria pre-release here locally, but my uh, stream community and I, we did the spell table. We did a four-person yeah. Icoria sealed 
uh, pre-release where we just did a four-person sealed free-for-all. It was decks were not very good, but oh my gosh, it was some of the most fun just doing a four-person sealed like that. Yeah, Spell Table is a blast. If you have not checked it out, they're doing great stuff. Oh my um, gosh, yes. Online. And it, you know, coming up, well, by the time you hear this, what uh, I guess this weekend, a couple days from now, is Command Fest Online. Oh, that's right. So don't that's miss right. out on it. That is going to be awesome. It's going to be all day Commander online on Spell Table. You will not want to miss it. You're, you're going to be in it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll be there, but everyone is encouraged to come and play. I mean, it is a world... I mean, that's, you know, earlier I was talking about restrictions for creativity. And yes, it is unfortunate that we are all at home right now instead of being able to out and do stuff. But on the flip side, Command Fest before were limited to a thousand people or so. Yep. Now it's limitless. Any number of people from around the world can all go play Commander online that day, and I'm stoked about it. Oh, I'm excited about it. It's it, th- There has been one small little shining light out of this pandemic. I have played so much more Commander thanks to a site like Spelltable with being able to play that with my streaming community and all that. It's been... I've built... Before, I only had maybe about 10 Commander decks. Now I'm like over 20 Commander decks now and just huh. wanting to keep building more. And it's, yeah, I haven't played this much Paper Magic in forever because I've oh, been, because really I've been, um unfortunately, and, you know, I don't know how you feel about this, but I've been playing a lot more D&D <laughs> lately. Hey, I love D&D. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I have, I've actually been, so I before the pandemic, I sort of stepped away from F and M and all that, and I've been working on building my local D and D scene, and um, it's been taken off great. I mean, before this whole thing happened, and I'm hoping it's still there when stores start to open back up. Um, but you know, it's so I'd usually maybe get to play Commander once a month if I'm lucky. Now it's like I'm playing it multiple times a week, and just I want more. I, I, I can't get enough of it. And everyone's at home, so it's a great time to play. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so. I think we kind of went over this um, before in the beginning where has COVID-19 impacted the way magic is designed and all. It doesn't sound like it's impacted it too much. Sounds maybe impacted more play design than anything. You know, we're a bunch of smart people. Um, we've come up with a lot of creative solutions to to our, uh, our problem. So I mean, I'm not going to say that it's impacted us zero. It's definitely impacted us. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, we're doing well. The Corey release has been amazing. I've been blown away, actually, by how well it's done for us. And as far as upcoming playtesting goes, we've got solutions in place for all that stuff. So fortunately, that's all uh, that's all still cooking. That's awesome. So one question I want to ask before we start getting to some more fun stuff that are maybe more non-magic related. Um, and I even asked this to Mishy last year um, when I had her on the podcast is um, you guys have all done an awesome job bringing the world to magic bringing the world of magic to Dungeons and Dragons with the Ravnica campaign book and then the Theros campaign book coming out. I want to say July it's coming out. Um, now that being said, when is D and D coming to magic all an expansion <laughs> set or, or even like a little challenger or something? <laughs> yeah. I would love to see that happen for sure. You know, I think that these books are like a great step in that direction. Oh, I, I love those books, man. See how they have they've done. And I think that we'll see how the upcoming Theros one does too and learn a lot from that. You know, um, it's the kind of thing that I think everyone would be tentatively excited about, but we want to make sure that if we do it, everyone's happy and we think it will, will be a success, right? Like how big of an overlap is there really? Um, well, we'll see once again how this Theros book does and go from there. But um, personally, I think we could absolutely do it um, someday. And I'd love to see a Beholder on a Magic card. In fact, yes. I put one on there. Uh, Mystery <laughs> Booster Playtest cards, there's a Beholder in there. So. Oh, yeah, um, that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Um, perhaps it's a harbinger of things to come. 
the I mean, come on, we got to see a Forgotten Realm set one day. We got to see Tiamat as a planeswalker or a legendary creature or or even people will probably hate it Dritz as a planeswalker or something. Dritz gets his spark and <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, this idea has been talked about for ages. So, I mean, for me, this is a, a matter in magic of win, not if. You know, Rosewater plays as if or win game. Yeah. Someday it's going to happen. Someday, certainly, it's going to happen. We, but we, we've seen small little win. hints the past couple of years. We saw Bag of Holding in M19. Um, right. You well, guys. Well, and Zendikar, of course, originally uh, was like a big homage to D&D. Yeah. And although. Um, the second set had more of this Eldrazi thing going on. This time around, we're kind of going to go back to more of that adventuring flavor, you know? So um, I think we'll get some of that there, too. Awesome, awesome. I can't wait. Uh, it's I, I can't wait for it. It's I'm super excited about the Theros book. Um, I, I thought the Ravnica book was... E- even for people out there that aren't even fans of D&D or, you know, don't really want to play it, the, that Ravnica book, just from a lore perspective, was really, really, really cool. Just how deep it dived into just the lore of Ravnica if people are if people who are the Vorthos community out there I thought was perfect for it thank you yeah I'm glad you enjoyed it. it was a lot of work by a lot of folks but I'm really happy with how it turned out did um did anybody on the magic team have to be involved with either of those books oh yeah yeah magic is super deep involved and we're actually incredibly fortunate to have James Wyatt on our team James Wyatt has been at Wizards I think for I think this was his 20th year this year and he was originally on the D&D team before moving to magic so he's actually kind of the walker between worlds. He knows D and D really well <laughs> and knows magic really well, and he put a ton of work into all these books. So, um, big hats off to James. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, so going on to some more non magic stuff, um, some more fun stuff. You know, you mentioned before that you're being able to catch up on other games and all that. What are some of these other games that you're playing here? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, <clears throat> a lot, a lot of uh, you know, it's, it's funny. It's been a lot of fun to dip my toe into different waters. Be like, oh, I've heard about this thing for ages. I've heard about this thing for ages. Let's try it out. Um, but I'll say that other than Arena, which I just hit Mythic in and I've um, spent <laughs> probably too much time doing, I, I really enjoyed um, the new Final Fantasy VII remake. I put a bunch of time into that. Oh, um, nice. I mean, I remember playing through the original when I was a kid, and that was that was a blast. I'm also into Animal Crossing. Um, yes. So nice. Building up my town. Everyone out there is welcome to come visit Mana Coast. It's great. Um, it has five areas, each themed one of the five colors. So. Oh, fun. that's awesome. That's awesome. I've tried to make mine look like a small suburban town as much as I could. <laughs> well, uh, it's probably a lot <laughs> easier than making it look like a fantasy world of mana. Let me tell you that much. Oh, man. But, I, have you posted any pictures of that on your Twitter at all? You no, know, I'm kind of waiting for... Um, I, I want to get it to a quote-unquote final state. Nothing's ever final. <laughs> I want to get it to a state where I'm, I'm happy with um, where everything's at. I've still got a few things I'm trying to get done. Um, but on the whole, it's great. Each of my rooms in my house is themed to a different magic plane, which is really fun. So there's a lot. Um, Someday I will post it up there. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Final Fantasy VII remake so far? Or did you beat uh, it first? No, so I, ha- I haven't finished it yet. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm. I, I kind of want to reserve judgment until after I've finished it, I, I would say. Okay. Um, you know, it's interesting. The original game. All those years ago, I was actually not that huge on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm one of the weirdos that likes Final Fantasy VIII and not Final Fantasy VII. I hey, eight, eight was still a great game. I still enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, you know, many many people will uh, will debate us on that. That's okay. Um, <laughs> I've done a lot of good stuff in Seven that I like, but it's it, it's also got some pacing stuff that I'm a little yeah. worried about. So 
I'll, I want to finish it till I give a full review. So I'll yeah. finish it up first. I haven't finished it up yet either. I think I'm about halfway through. But um, the one thing that I really, really, really love about that game is the music. All, all the music they've done, the the redone track soundtracks and all that is it's gorgeous. It's great. Oh, it is. It's gorgeous. Visual, visually stunning, and yeah. uh, um, audio stunning as well. Um, you know, I've also just been playing some like Jackbox games with friends. Games are a great way to stay in touch while you're all indoors. So, um, you know, a lot of great opportunities for that too. Oh yeah. Animal Crossing has definitely been one of them. Cause my, um, little discord, we every week, especially after Sunday, it's like, Oh, what's everybody's turnip prices and go right. visit, visit each other's islands. And we try to do, you know, little fun mini games or something. And I, I literally cannot have imagined a better time for a life simulator to release. I know. Right. right? <laughs> For everyone who is tired of not having to go and work, I got I got something for you. You can finally go work and pay off your loans. Now, have you ever ever played Animal Crossing before this? Oh, oh my gosh! I when the first Animal Crossing came out, I was on the Animal Crossing message boards oh, like damn. a year before it came out, and was one of the big members of that group on this old website called um, Animal Crossing Ahead or AXA for short, and. Um, we like we were the people on the front lines of Animal Crossing talking about it for for wow. way for now. And the cool part is because the internet is such a wild place. You know, I was on that forum when I was like 14, 15 years old, maybe whenever it came out the first time. And many of those people, I'm still friends with today. And so when the new game came out, we were all able to like go and connect to each other's towns, despite living all around the country, which was really yeah. really cool. That's awesome. That's like, this is my first Animal Crossing. It's my my wife and kids have always played the other ones before and. I never saw the appeal of them. Like I'd watch them playing and be like, this game's kind of dumb or something. And until I tried it and and when I tried it, I was hooked immediately. It is a game that has perhaps one of the biggest deltas between explaining it and playing it. You're like, all right, here's what you're going to do. You're going to (laughs) start in debt and you're going to do all these work tasks to pay off your loans. And I know I've got you already, but if that's not enough for you, you get to talk to animals and like, dig holes in the ground and fish and catch bugs but it's really like like this relaxing zen style experience and what i like about it is i just play for like a half hour a day you know just you know just like and go into that world a little bit enjoy it before i go to bed normally um i just love how happy it is yeah it's really relaxing and it's created a lot of great social stuff too you know like i've my friend um vittoria just messages me like every other day like hey uh, Sahara's on my island. You want to come visit? I'm like, oh, that's so great. Or, hey, Celeste is on my island. Come over and visit. So uh, yeah. it creates a great community, which, which I love communities. So it's a big deal to me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, speaking of some other stuff, uh, what are some of your favorite books that you've read? Have you been reading again lately now that you probably have more time now? And um, I am a bad English major. I've definitely been using a lot more books in quarantine, like a lot, but mostly to put on under things to lift them up as I record videos. Uh, <laughs> so like a bad person. I um, I mean, I love I love books, of course. I, I'm an English major, um, creative writing major. It means a lot to me. But I would say that actually, you know, a really big focus for me during this quarantine that has eaten up a ton of my time is learning how to make videos. Like, I had no video experience really before this. And so, you know, an episode of Good Morning Magic will take anywhere from four to eight hours for me to create, oh, even wow. though it's like a five-minute video. You know, you wouldn't imagine that it would, but it takes a really, a really long time. And then you, you combine that with all of the TikToks that I've been making. And that's like, there are many days where video is all I do all day. So and there are many people out there I know during the quarantine who are bored. That is not a problem. I do not have enough time to do all the things I want to do. Plus, I think we're at the point where a lot of people's social lives are picking up again, right? There's a lot of online yeah. stuff happening. 
I have plans with friends most nights now. So um, that's good. That's I, good. I've not gotten back into uh, reading, unfortunately, as much as I as I wish I wish I might have. Um, alas, I, mm, I watch a little bit of TV, um, but still not as not as much not as much as I would probably want to otherwise. Well, that sort of brings me to my next question: What are some of your favorite movies or TV shows? Yeah, so I am a big movie guy. I mean, I've gone to Sundance the past two years, so I'm really, oh, really nice. into films. Um, and I, I mean, I, I love storytelling. That, that's my thing. I studied creative writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I love books, but I also love movies and television. And these, you know, um, while I have nothing against books, I feel like movies and TV have become the storytelling medium for, for the era. So, I mean, I could list off all the big shows that many of you have watched, but I'll say one that I watched recently that I was really impressed by that I suggest people check out, which was critically acclaimed, but did not get a lot of major press, um, as far as I could tell, was a show on Amazon Prime called Undone. I thought it was absolutely okay. marvelous. It's a rotoscope show, so it's got a very unique style of animation. And it's impossible, it's, it's like impossible for me to even describe what it's about. Um, it's like genre bending, time travel. Oh, I think I, I, think I remember seeing ads for that. Um, and it, it's so good. So that's great. Um, as far as more traditional stuff I've been watching through, I think Better Call Saul might be the best show on TV right now. Uh, so I'm really enjoying watching through that. Uh, Mr. Robot just ended. That show was phenomenal, and I deeply, deeply enjoyed it. Um, it's like a great hacker thriller that has four really tight seasons. They did a great job on. Um, so those are just just a few things. And then I've got a weekly. I've run a weekly movie club for the past four years. Oh, nice! Uh, every Tuesday night we watch a movie together, and I turned my living room into a home theater. You can't see it. The reason why there's red curtains behind me are for the the reason. If I tilt my camera over here, you'll see the this huge. Oh yeah, screen. I see see everything the screen. And so, you know, we'd have about 20 people a week over to watch movies. And although that has not continued because, well, obvious reasons, um, we're all still watching movies online. So actually, after this interview, I, I go get set up for our virtual movie club that's about to, about to kick off. Um, right. So still finding ways to lot, watch lots of films. And um, it's, it's been fun to work through the backlog of things that I haven't seen um, right now. Oh, that's awesome, man. So one question I had for you, if you were a commander, what would you do? Huh. <laughs> um, I would cast cards from outside the game, which I know doesn't work in commander right now, but <laughs> it, we'd put enough text on it there. It would make it work. I think it'd be fun to have someone that could like cast a card from outside the game once per game or once per turn or something like that. Just, just you have access to all kinds of stuff at all times. That's always felt like something I would do as a card designer. It makes sense that you would have something show up out of nowhere. That sounds, sounds cool. What colors would you be? I, oh, as far as color identity goes, I've always identified with the mirror. Um, but if I'm three colors, I'd probably be um, Esper. So white, blue, black. Oh, nice. Nice Esper. You know, I, I, I've always loved blue. It's my favorite way to play. And then I don't Ooh. know. Both, Ooh, both so- white, black, really, uh, <laughs> have aspects of my personality i think no it's funny you mentioned blue so i don't know if you know pixie kitten um from pixie yeah. kitten plays she notoriously hates blue but oh, it's, me <laughs> but it's so funny when um i catch her playing blue she, she'll play blue when it comes to limited uh draft or sealed but you know she, she'll say like oh but i hate blue otherwise i'm like no you, you secretly like blue don't 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 worry you do <laughs> I mean, Sean Plot is a friend of mine, right? And if you've ever watched the Spellslingers television or a YouTube show, yeah. um, you know he hates blue. But I know that guy. He rolls up some blue cards every now and then. You can't hide it from me, Sean. So have you known Sean for a while? or 
I met him on Spellslingers. Okay. But I, um, so Spellslingers was this YouTube show we did down in um, with Geek and Sundry. Yeah. Great show, really fun. It ran for four seasons, I think. And I was the dedicated rep to um, from game design to uh, Spellslingers. So I would help build the decks they would play. I would come down and make sure that all magic was being played right. I would teach people how to play. Sometimes people would oh, nice. not have like a great grasp on the game, and I'd have to help run them through it. So I kind of um, worked on all those different aspects of the show. Um, so it, I got to know Sean through that, and now of course Sean does casting for us. And so like I was just in Hawaii a few months ago, which feels strange to say because traveling—what yeah, is that? I know. But I was out there for Worlds, and it was fun to be able to hang out with Sean and um, on the set of uh, the World Championship. Now, as much as I love Day Nine, I still find it weird that he's doing magic. I love that he's doing magic and all that, but I grew up like being really deeply entrenched in the Starcraft pro scene for so long since Starcraft brood wars and all that. And, you know, getting to know day nine and tasteless and, um, artosis and all them. And then when he made the switch to magic, it was just really, I hate to say off putting, but it was off putting. Cause I'm so used to him doing Starcraft, it, but it's great to see him do magic. Now I still, kind of wish he did starcraft a little bit but i know starcraft is not nearly as popular as it used to be though sadly uh, I, I can assure you by the way i'm sure that many people out there listening maybe yourself as well as you be have wondered what sean's like in person he is just like his internet persona he's goofy and hilarious and i've learned so much from him and he's really smart and he's so caring like he will just sit there and talk to you no matter who you are so yeah that's he's, he's a stand-up guy and I strive to be like him. Uh, he's done an amazing job, and um, I've, I've learned a lot. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I have some uh, community questions that I asked um, some people in my Discord and some of my friends, um, and I tried to pick out some of the good ones here. Um, <laughs> uh, one of them did ask, are there any plans to make a tribal Minotaur commander? Now, I know we have Neheb for some of them, but wondering if there's any other going to be any future Minotaur support. Uh, Minotaurs. I, you know what? Ever since this Minotaur guy started doing the reviews on Reddit, I think we've all started paying more attention to Minotaurs. So um, <laughs> that's all I'll say about that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, look, Minotaurs are like a resident fantasy trope. I think we can find places for them where we can. And uh, you sort of, I'll put it this way you have not seen the last Minotaurs in Magic. So that. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, another one is when can we expect to see. I'm, I'm going to butcher this name. Flibbethip, uh, fi- Fibblethip, yeah. finally become a planeswalker. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a popular ask. Um, Fibblethip does not, as far as we know, have a planeswalker spark yet, but it's always possible. Um, more likely, likely to happen in an unset. So we'll see what happens. You, you, you can see on the artwork for the Grand Tour in Mystery Booster, Fibblethip visiting different planes. So at least in Mystery oh, yeah, Booster, right. uh, it's been around. So, and one of the last questions here, because um, I know you got to get going here. Um, what are some non-magic, you know, maybe non-magic or non-D&D related content creators do you, enjoy, do you enjoy watching or listening to on YouTube or podcasts? Yeah, well, I mean, I know technically he is magic now, but Sean, Sean is a real big one. And I will, um, I will mention him to a tremendous degree. Um, ooh, let's see. Well, for podcasts, I'm a huge fan of Roman Mars everything that he comes out with 99% invisible if you've never listened to it is an inspiration of a show and I can't recommend it enough um, if you're not familiar it's called what it's again 99% invisible okay and it's a design podcast 
that talks about speaking of design, just kind of in our conversation full circle here, is a design podcast and every episode focuses on an aspect of design in the world about something you've probably never thought about or never heard of and how it came to be. So they've done an episode on everything from the history of the Portland airport carpet, which is quite famous, oh, to wow. the, the graphic design of money, to um, someone who tried to found their own micronation, to all kinds of tiny little things that you've never even heard about. And if you're interested, I can link you a few of my favorite episodes. Just hit me up on Twitter and I'll send them your way. Sure. But the, the, I love it first because they're great. They're like 20-ish to 30 minutes long, which is ex- as exactly as long as I want a podcast to really be um, for me. And uh, the stories they tell are things you'll never hear otherwise, and they are fascinating. I mean, I, I remember one that will all stick in my head is about these three people who were in a competition to stay up on a billboard um, for as long as possible. And the person who would stay up on the billboard for the longest ended up winning a house. They're going to win a literal house by staying up on this billboard for the Dang. longest amount of time. And so the, a company started doing this as a promotion and thinking that it last a few weeks – and they were up there for, I don't know, I think it was like nine months to a year or something like that. And it became like a worldwide phenomenon back in the 60s or 70s, but now no one's ever heard of it. And it was it was an amazing podcast. So there's all kinds of great stories. And um, yeah, Roman Mars does great stuff. Highly, highly suggest 99% Invisible. It is an incredible show. Ooh, awesome. Awesome. Is there any so, other YouTubers or anything that you like? or? Yeah, YouTubers. Um, it's one of those things where you ask me and I, I blank. I blank on their names. Um, <laughs> I'll have to get, get back to you on that one. Okay. I do have many that I've subscribed to and watch, but um, I, I, for some reason, I'm just blanking on it right now. I know. That's all right. That's all right. No, I'll have to check that out because I love a podcast like that. Just weird little facts like Radio Labs, one of them where um, NPR's Radio Lab were just weird stories like that. Um, I love uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History where... Oh, it, now, those podcasts are a little bit way longer than 20, 30 minutes or usually like three to four hours or anything. But Jesus, they are so freaking good. Just really, really good if you haven't checked those out before. Yeah, I'm familiar with the hardcore history is I've listened to some of that. It is wild. It's just, I, I, you know, as someone mentioned earlier at the beginning of the podcast, I did an MTG cast, right? And I'm sure you know this too. Our two most popular pieces of feedback, things that we've got the most from people were number one, please make your show shorter. We want a shorter show. We want to be able to do it quickly. Why is your show so long? Feedback point number two. Why is your show longer? I wish it was longer. I need more stuff to fill my <laughs> What's up with that? And there's two 100% irreconcilable pieces of feedback. And um, so I respect there's, there's all types out there. Um, and I'm a short podcast guy. So I don't have a ton of time to listen. Um, but uh, but I, I, I love long, long form stuff, long form stuff too. So that's actually why it's been fun to work on TikTok recently because a TikTok video is only 15 seconds long. So you have to get a lot done in a very short amount of time there. And to tell a story there is really interesting. And, and in, like you were saying before, restriction breeds creativity where you have to Absolutely. try to figure out a short way to explain something and make it funny too or interesting. Right. So right. how can you be entertaining in 15 seconds. It's a good challenge for everyone out there. Yeah. Well, I just want to thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on and just, you know, talk magic with me, design and just everything else with it too. I want to thank you for coming on. Where can it was a pleasure to come out. And I, I mean, the community is so important to me when it comes to magic that I'm always happy to come on shows. So if you have a show out there, hit me up, let me know. And just in general, I thank you for having me and giving me a great chance to talk about, um, future magic it's a exciting time to be a magic player oh yeah for sure um where can people find you should they want to reach out well you can just google my name and i will show up everywhere 
Uh, <laughs> always a safe bet. But I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's a great place to hit me up. Um, but I've started this new Good Morning Magic show that mm-hmm. I highly recommend you all check out on YouTube. It's three times a week. I've been having interviews with a lot of people in game design, um, a lot of community members, all kinds of fun information coming out there. I've actually got a preview card coming up that I'm super excited about. Ooh. So go ahead and subscribe and check out the channel. Um, a lot of fun stuff. Uh, and and you're coming up. up with new little games with it too, the little booster sleuth. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to try that out with uh, Pixie Kitten pretty soon. Oh, yeah, please do. Yeah, we've been re- releasing all kinds of fun content. Um, yeah. So it's still new and growing, but I would go give it a give it a holler. Let me know what you think. Yeah, definitely fun. Well, thank you again for coming on, Gavin, and really appreciate it, and I hope you have a great night, all right? Thank you. I hope I hope you have a great uh, rest of your life. I'm not going to stop at the night. Just thank you. keep it going. <laughs> Thanks. All right, thank you. Hey, everybody. Thank you all for listening to the show. I hope you all really enjoyed it. Um, I had a great time with Gavin, and it was um, just a really fun episode. And, um, yeah, it was really fun time. I wish I could have talked even more about magic design. I could have just picked his brain with like a million questions, but alas, um, we don't have all the time in the world and I could have kept on talking on and on and on and on. But, um, no, it was great. He's a great person to have on there and, um, hope you all really enjoyed the episode and hope you really enjoyed, um, some of his insights into magic design and just seeing what sort of goes on behind the scenes when designing magic and all that. It was really, really insightful and all that so thank you again gavin for coming on and thank you to wizards of the coast for allowing this to happen and making this happen um really really appreciate it it's um it's you know i'm really thankful that we could make this happen and it was great it was great um thank you all again for watching listening however you're you know digesting this podcast and hope you all have a great night out there thank you